Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james, netsuite.com slash james netsuite.com slash james this isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host this is the james altucher show so i've got michael hearn with me who is the producer and host of the docu-series Uncensored Crypto. And I have a lot of questions for Michael. Michael, how are you doing? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, James. Uncensored Crypto, the truth about crypto. You've got topics, you've got all these people that you've interviewed. You, you're an expert yourself. It's all about every aspect from NFTs to DeFi to the metaverse to kind of the, the philosophy of crypto, mm -hmm. crypto versus fiat. And I'm going to be a skeptic. So I'm right on. very bullish on crypto mm -hmm. in general, but I have lots of questions and some of these are gathered from listeners as well. And there's just some basic stuff that I want to understand. I'm going to get right into the meat right of it, on. but we'll, we'll, we'll back up and do some basics as well. You, you, how, how many experts mm -hmm. did you interview for this docuseries, first of all? For this docuseries, 57. 57. And what qualified like an expert? Well, we talked to project founders. We talked to, you know, publicly traded CEOs, company CEOs. Um, you know, we talked to regulators, congressmen, there were congressmen in the mix. Um, but basically, they had to be someone who was actually in the industry, engaged, or someone who had helped to shape the industry and get it to where it is today. Here's my basic question about... Mm -hmm. Bitcoin and crypto in general. So I'm going from top yeah. down, but we'll go from bottom up as well. Right now, you have Ethereum created or Bitcoin created mm -hmm. projects like Uniswap, which is a decentralized exchange. 
right. Pancake, uh, which is also a decentralized yep. exchange. You have the metaverse, you have NFTs. Right. There's hundreds of millions of transactions happening a day, mm -hmm. which is amazing. This is different, totally different from 2018, where there were no yeah. transactions per day. Right. Now there's real use cases. But here's what yes. I'm worried about. These use cases are kind of crypto doing things for crypto, meaning yes. like on the decentralized exchanges, uh, they're exchanging. I could change my Ethereum for Bitcoin. I could change my right. Bitcoin for Solana or whatever. And yep. And it's the same thing with these NFTs. I'm using crypto to buy other crypto-related items. Yes. But when are we going to see, or have we already seen, real-world use cases? And if we haven't seen it, are there projects in, in development? Like, what's I, I feel like 20, yeah. 2021 was the year of let crypto is real. Trillions are in it. Right. Transactions are happening. Hundreds of millions of transactions or billions of transactions. But now I want to see 2022 be the year where there, it bleeds into the real world. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think what you see happening in El Salvador with Bitcoin being accepted as tender is, you know, probably a good boots on the ground use case. And that's kind of the thing is, um, th there's a few things that I want to speak to in regards to that. So one is it's largely the unbanked and, you know, outside of the Western markets who we're most poised to benefit from having this digital um, monetary system, this digital economy introduced into their world, right? Because if we're on a barter system, being able to transact digitally and creating velocity, right? Those are really impactful things. Um, access to financial services, et cetera. So we see a lot of that with the unbanked and the underbanked. Um, and, and so we are seeing boots on the ground implementations there, like rubber meets the road type stuff. But like on what? the flip side, um, like, you know, um, things like micro lending um, or just being able to do remittances probably is is honestly one of the best use cases. So if I'm an what, immigrant... What's a remittance? I, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. So technically, right, it's it's entity to entity. It's just like, like no intermediary type transactions. The most common example would be like Western Union, right? So let's say I'm a migrant farm worker. I come to the U.S. I make low wages. My family's back home and I want to send them money. What are my options? Well, I can go to Western Union. If I've got an identity, I'll be able to send money. If I don't have an identity, I have to find somebody who has an identity and pay them a fee or a percentage so that I can send money back home. And then Western Union takes, you know, their, their cut which is, you know, for these smaller transactions, all that kind of adds up to like 30% of the actual transactions. So wow. here you are working your ass off, barely getting by, trying to send money back to, you know, to a country that's even poorer and you're getting just taken you're to the cleaners. Um, so that's a perfect example. Whereas I can send USDT, I can send Bitcoin, I can do that, you know, for, for pennies. Uh, so, okay. So as a currency, it, uh, particularly like right now in El Salvador, uh, you know, first off, mm -hmm. what does it mean for a country to accept Bitcoin as legal tender? And and now this, this is a basic <laughs> question. Right. Like, like, I guess that means people will pay their taxes in El Salvador in crypto. And yeah, what, mm -hmm. what's, and also I guess whatever the currency was in El Salvador before probably wasn't very trustworthy. Yeah, like there was probably exactly. an opportunity for it to fall apart. So what what what's El Salvador's risk in moving to crypto, and what's what's it mean, and what well, other countries are next? 
Yeah, yeah. So I I believe there was another Latin American country that either was considering it or actually followed suit. Um, but I I, I want to say Colombia, but I'm I'm pulling that out of out of thin air. I probably got like a ten percent chance of being right there. But um, so there are other countries that will follow suit. But to your point, they are going to be less developed, um, less stable economies, and the the advantages in that situation are, well. From the government's perspective, I no longer have to maintain a stable currency. Um, so I've outsourced that, right? <laughs> and but, then, but is there a risk mm-hmm. for a not-so-stable government to not be able to control the currency? Well, no, that's the th- they can't control Bitcoin. That's, that's like, I think you know, that's the pitch, right, is that it can't be debased because the, co- because the country's in financial trouble, right? So politicians make bad choices my savings don't get diluted down to nothing with hyperinflation it sort of replaces it disintermediates the central bank in this case let me press on that a little bit so mm-hmm. so one cause of hyperinflation of course is you have to print a lot of money so yes. a, a classic example is world after world war 1 germany owed a lot of reparations to england the us and other countries and they yeah. didn't owe that money in marks. They owed it in, let's say, pounds or dollars. And so they had to print a lot of marks, which debased their currency. And, you know, there was a trillion marks to buy a loaf of bread. Right. Uh, but the, another cause of hyperinflation is what we're seeing now in the U.S. with supply chain issues. Let's say mm-hmm. some things actually do start costing more money. Uh, I guess prices will rise in crypto money, in Bitcoin money. So th- this is like an interesting question, right? So we start to get into the really like complex economy, right? There's so many factors, right? But what you'll see is that one of these types of assets is going to maintain the purchasing power in the real world, right? So as you, as you know, like one of the ways to look at the macro environment between asset classes is to say like, okay, in 1950, an ounce of gold would buy me a suit, right? And uh, $20 would buy me a suit as well. Today, it costs me $2,000 to buy the same suit, but an ounce of gold will still give me the suit, right? So when it comes to purchasing power, the theory is that the more these currencies inflate, the higher the value of Bitcoin will be relative to those currencies. But the question is, is will your purchasing power be increased or will you simply be, you know, measuring it in this, you know, same like just larger denominations of a worthless currency, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so I see what you're saying. So it could be that if El Salvador falls apart, mm-hmm. uh, since crypto is tied to the price of objects around the world, it's hard for it. You won't see hyperinflation in El Salvador from here on out. If they stick with Bitcoin, because there can only be 21 million Bitcoin. And many of those are already lost in irrecoverable ways. So the the money supply in that traditional, like Austrian economic sense, it can't be inflated. It's just not and, possible. And I guess there ha- because it's hard. Well, it's not really hard. People always say, "Oh, well, how are you going to collect taxes?" But everybody still has to fight. You know, it's against the law to not pay your taxes. So yeah, exactly. Pe- people, people, there's still going to be the equivalent of 1099s in these countries and yeah. W twos and and so on. 
and mm-hmm. it's not like and, and and you know employers will report to the who are, whatever the tax revenue service is what all the income is okay so yeah. why why won't the the US anytime soon convert to bitcoin well i think you know the, the, there are a lot of people who stand to lose if that happens um and and just to be fair, like it, we don't we wouldn't want a uh, destructive transition over to Bitcoin, right? There's so much that's wound up in the current legal system and the financial instruments that have been you know figured out and codified and regulated over decades of time. To unwind that quickly would be pro- would probably be catastrophic. Um, people would lose a lot. Uh, we might even see like war, right? It's definitely civil unrest. So there's there's that. There's sort of like that, uh, you know, this is a very complicated problem that we have to solve and we, we probably should be a little bit methodical and think about the fact that hundreds of millions, even billions of people will be affected by the choices made. Um, so there's some of that going on. Um, and then there's, you know, the, the personal interests of the, the central banks themselves, uh, you know, who, who wants to give up control of the money supply. So let's take the flip side. Could mm-hmm. the U.S. Uh, say no Bitcoin allowed here? They, I mean, they could, they could, it would be a, it would be a bad choice. They couldn't really enforce it. And what they would do is they would push all the wealth that this, this new industry, this new type of technology is creating. They'd push it to another country. Yeah. Like, like, uh, I was wondering this about El Salvador, for instance, like, is their banking now, is their banking industry shooting through the roof because anybody who wants to kind of uh, deal with an unregulated uh, uh, banking environment in the crypto world is probably opening up shop in El Salvador. Just the same way Ireland became a haven for hedge funds and, mm-hmm. and places like Bermuda became a, ha- a haven for hedge funds because banking was less regulated in these countries. Absolutely. I mean, you see this happening in the Bahamas and you'll see it around the world. I mean, in many ways, the less developed economies have an advantage over the developed economies when it comes to crypto they have less to unwind they have way more to gain by switching over so okay you, you described one a, a real world use case which i which i buy into that you know mm-hmm. always the dream for bitcoin was that it would be used as a currency bitcoin or its you know descendants would yeah. be used as a currency in in some form or other mm-hmm. and people are probably making applications like here's how you yeah. here's an easy way to transfer money here's your easy right. way to do e-commerce and stuff like that yep. uh what what about other real world use cases yeah you yeah, know like, like i always hear like like i hear i think that there's real world use cases for blockchain and we don't have to go into the weeds of what blockchain is mm-hmm. but is that you don't have to tie it to a coin necessarily when you do a real like if you tie all your healthcare systems to a blockchain technology not, there's not necessarily a currency involved or a token so this is where it gets where you start to see the convergence of all these technologies. So I'm probably gonna I, there were so there's so much to talk about here, right? So we'll, we'll try to get on all this stuff we can. But one of the core problems I see out there is identity, right? What is digital identity, right? You see it uh, impact voting, right? For example, oh God, like you know, like what are we gonna do? Like you know, how do we identify people just to do things like voting? You would think it was kind of easy, but uh, probably not. Um, to, you know, your healthcare stuff, right? Um, how do you like prove your, like, how do you interact with a healthcare provider and and provide them data and access to identity? Then how do you go into the metaverse and like reveal yourself and your identity there? What about the DMV? What about passing through borders, right? 
all of these things um, need to be built out so that we can tap into all the possibilities of this. So there's, it kind of goes back to one of the original things is what's the use case? And it's all like crypto over crypto. And that's true. That's, that's a good observation because we're at the state where you have to build the infrastructure and then you start to build the application. So right now the big opportunities are the places where there are gaps and problems and broken pieces. And so when those get filled in, we'll start to see new applications that get developed on top of those, just like, you know, we did with, with Facebooks and the Googles that no one could have predicted really until the tech was built. Other real world use cases, I think, you know, decentralized finance. Okay. Let, let, let's talk about that for a second. So yeah, DeFi, uh, and I don't, you know, the word decentralized is almost a little confusing. Just like the word, mm -hmm. the, the sentiment of crypto is a little confusing. Like yes, nobody is, really yeah. wants to know about cryptography. No one really cares about decentralized, like the average person, but yeah. It's this idea that okay, there's there's it it there's much more automation. There's much fewer middlemen exactly. involved in a in a transaction. So a, yeah. a stock exchange, I go to the New York Stock Exchange. I can I, there's a company in the middle, exactly. and I could buy Apple stock or sell McDonald's stock. And there's yep. a there's a a, a broker. A there's a market maker. There's all these fees. There's potential exactly. for human error, but in these DeFi exchanges, and they're huge. There's like a billion dollars worth of transactions every day, but yeah. Uh, or more, but mm -hmm. they're just crypto trading for crypto, even though the tech is there that they could trade stocks and other assets. And so I'm, I'm thinking 2022 should be the year I see other things other than crypto being traded. Gotcha. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you could see, you know, the tokenization of anything. It's, it's just another like way of having fractional ownership of something is, is one use case of it. But I think I think DeFi is just like in its really early phases. What'll be really cool is whenever, um, you know, we no longer have to go get approved for a mortgage, right, by a bank. We'll just be able to simply use our digital identity and the data that's associated with it to go out and say, hey, I, I need a mortgage, um, you know, and, and get it without having to jump through a bunch of hoops. So how, uh, how do you see that happening? Like, okay, so mm -hmm. I recently got a mortgage and it was like two months of yeah. due diligence on the bank, like paperwork going back and forth. Like, my yeah. accountant's full-time job was dealing with my mortgage loan somehow because I have a very <laughs> odd living as opposed yep. to a regular right? job. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, um, how does crypto mortgages make this easier? Yeah, uh, so with the blockchain everything's stored in an immutable public record so think about the different sub components that went into the purchasing that house right so you had the um title research right which means they got to go dig through you know they're pulling out the dusty books at the county clerk's office not really not anymore right but but when it, what if you had that data on a blockchain Right. You don't, you know, not, you don't even need, need a title company at that point because the blockchain is immutable. It's unchangeable. And so you know who owns that house. You don't need a title company. You don't need title insurance. You don't need the time for them to do their work. Uh, so you speed up and you wipe out costs. Same thing with the bank. What does the bank do? There used to be a time and a day where you'd be like, Oh, James, you know, I've got, you know, you know me, we're buddies, we both play golf together, you know I, I, I make a great living, uh, but I've got a complicated tax return, I make money from a lot of different sources, some of them are hard to verify, um, 
but you know, I'm good for it. And if, you know, in the good old days, you'd say like, yeah, I know you, Michael, let's give you that mortgage. Well, now it's not like that, right? You either have the number or you don't have the number, right? So they've turned it into an algorithm, which why do I need a human to run the algorithm, right? It slows the process down, makes it prone to errors, add cost, all of these things. The problem though right now is the reason people love DeFi is it pays, you know, 10, 20% APY, right? It's these insane yields. Nobody wants to, to loan out their money necessarily for 30 years to get a, you know, a 5% APY, at least not at this stage of the market maturity. Again, like with mortgages, mm-hmm. how will, why would somebody do a mortgage through crypto when you can get, you know, heavy yields on your crypto? It's a matter of me perceiving that the value I receive is greater than the value I'm giving up. But one of the principles that people are applying here is they're not selling their crypto, they're borrowing against it and using that money to go buy the house so that their asset continues to appreciate while they have use of the funds. It's not income, it's debt. What are taxes, right? So, And so potentially mm-hmm. people could then trade, like if let's say, you know, Jack at the golf club, um, so, so let's say I tokenize my mortgage. I turn the, my house into a crypto essentially and subdivide it into like a thousand coins. So people could, anybody could lend one one thousandth of my loan. Are you saying my loan could be traded on an ex, a DeFi exchange? Yeah, so there'll be that- secondary exchanges for those mortgages just like there are secondary exchanges for traditional mortgages. And so there's opportunities maybe like, oh, I want to buy... 50 mortgages in Florida, 50 mortgages in Austin. I'm going to short mortgages in Illinois. So there's going to be opportunities for like trading. That's not necessarily like a REIT. You, you get to pick your REIT essentially. Exactly. I mean, these, these are all possible outcomes of this technology and they're kind of natural evolutions. And that's what we're seeing right now in decentralized finance is you're seeing a duplicating of traditional finance in this tokenized economy. But when will that start? Because I don't see that happening yet. And for instance, you can, you know, using tokens like UMA or SNX, you can make synthetic stocks that trade like McDonald's or Tesla or whatever. And when are we going to start to see actual real world items like a house or a mortgage or a stock uh, being traded on these DeFi exchanges? Because then once it tips into that, then you're talking trillion dollars value for each exchange. Absolutely. So There'll be a progression right now. It's, you know, like I said, it's building out the rails, the infrastructure. Um, and what that means is you've got all the pioneers, the, the people who are comfortable with risk who are coming in. And we're actually kind of getting beyond that phase where you've got like that second wave of people who are maybe early adopters. Uh, I, you know, I don't know the market stages exactly, but um, you've got those people coming in and what they're going to want is they're going to want that yield, Right. But as we continue to transact more and more in a digital world and this stuff becomes just a native part of our lives, there are going to be people who migrate into these assets and this it's going to replace like, you know, traditional money markets and they're going to be okay getting those lower yields because they know it's safe. And what they'll more likely do is there will be pools of money. So there'll be like maybe a, a decentralized mortgage organization where everybody pools their money together um, and then 
just like a bank does. They make mortgages to thousands of people out of that pool and they all take the, the yield, right? Um, but those are going to be, you know, lower risk uh, investors, right? So that kind of like adoption cycle is hard to predict. I would not be shocked to see it in five to 10 years, but the hell do I know? <laughs> no, you know, you know quite a bit. So, so you're saying, you're saying that particular type of use is, could be five to 10 years away. Um, and I do think that's happening. So like, here's an idea. I feel this is like ground zero for entrepreneurs, not just Absolutely. investors in the crypto space. Like if I was going to start a crypto, I mean, there's lots of crypto businesses you could start, but yeah. like one thing I'm thinking of is if you can IPO yourself, meaning let's say yeah. I just graduated Harvard law school. I'm, yeah. I'm hypothetical. I, I thankfully did not just graduate that school, <laughs> but uh, let, let's say I did and I have $250,000 in student loans. Yeah. I could say I'm going to tokenize 10% of my income for the next 10 years. Yeah. And so I'm going to make James coin and mm -hmm. it's going to rep, uh, I'm going to issue, you know, a million coins and it's going to, yeah. those million coins will represent it. All my income will go into a black box. 90% will go to me. 10% will go to holders of these million coins pro rata. Yeah. And I can IPO myself. And, and maybe that's through like those coins are, are actually a million NFTs or whatever. Yeah. I could, I could <laughs> IPO myself and use the money raised to pay down my student loans and people could trade it like, Oh, he got a job at, the top law firm. Yeah, yeah. Now, mm -hmm. now the cho the James coin goes up. Oh, he's homeless. Now the James coin goes <laughs> right? down. But, yeah, what's but people that net make, present value? Yeah, yeah. People could make a portfolio around. You know, people always say, "I'm not investing in your company. I'm investing in you." Yes. Well, this would be a way to actually invest in you. Yep. And because all the income is going into a black box, there's no possibility of fraud. Yep. And uh, uh, you know, unless unless the person really is you know, working hard to be right, exactly. a, a fraud. But um, it seems to me that's like a no-brainer application of, of crypto and only crypto could be done for that. And then that could be traded on exchanges. Like you could trade James coins on exchanges or, yeah. or like a basket of coins. Like I could buy Michael coin, James coin, um, yeah. you know, Melissa coin and so on. <laughs> Isn't that what the government's doing with taxes, right? <laughs> I um, guess so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, that, that, that is absolutely, it's, it's actually, I've heard of one person who did that. Um, and I think it, I think it's an interesting use case. Um, and it kind of goes back to that identity. Uh, whereas if I, if I have that identity, that digital identity, then I can transact in that with whatever my income source is, which means that that income source can have a smart contract attached to this NFT so that 10% of my money gets automatically distributed. So it, it is it's technically feasible. Um, and really, it's just kind of like, a, it, it's hard for people to get their minds around that, right? Yeah, because let's say, let's say I sell 10% of my future. Let's say I think my income is going to be going to average, like just graduated college. My, I think my income is going to average over the 10 years $100,000 a year. So a million dollars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 10% of that would be $100,000. Right. So let's say I cut that in half and I sell 10% of my future income for 50,000. So now you can expect a roughly seven. If, if I hit my average, you'll, mm -hmm. you'll ex experience roughly a 7% per year return, which is not so bad. But if I yeah. exceed 
my average because you do your research. You have a lot of faith in me. Yeah. You can get 10, 20, 30% a year. If I have entrepreneurial leanings, you might bet and say, okay, he might be a million percent uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, return. And so you buy a basket of these and it's a, it's a new asset class. Yeah. 50 million people do it. And these decent DeFi exchanges, you know, like uni or cake or whatever, you know, yeah. DYDX or whatever, start trading it. That's, that's an enormous business. So I, I'm yeah. surprised, you know, it's the same thing as like music royalties, but applied mm -hmm. to people. Yeah. What's another real world use case that you see coming? And then we'll, we'll yeah. kind of, this will segue into NFTs and, and how to make money with those. Yeah, right on. So I would say probably some of the most impactful work is being done in the decentralized web. So right now you've got, you know, like what, five or six companies that control the digital world. Um, if they decide that you're not allowed to speak, you're not allowed to speak, you'll be silenced, you'll be canceled, you'll be censored, you'll be taken offline. And, you know, if, if you're like the president, people notice, but if you're just a nobody, then nobody notices. Um, so we've got this these big sort of like like what I think are existential problems like censorship, right? Where we're, we're not allowed to speak things that aren't uh, acceptable to a certain group of people. So anyways, we've got this abuse of power in this situation where you've got a lot of frustration, um, but it's all the product of having a centralized control over the internet, right? So right now, if you know, I want to host my website, I've got it on Amazon servers, and, you know, I'm accessing their, you know, like if I'm using their cloud services, I'm ac accessing their computing power, I'm accessing their, their file storage, I'm using, you know, Dropbox for, for file storage or, you know, the cloud services, right? So everything that's in the cloud right now is controlled by a group of people and it's, it's worth trillions and trillions of dollars. Um, but all that benefit accrues to the to the shareholders in those companies, right? And then the control goes to a handful of you know executives um, within the company. So okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate there though. Like, yeah. if Dropbox loses my files, yeah. then Dropbox is essentially out of business. If they lose like one person's files, that's a huge thing. Yeah. Whereas, like, let's say Filecoin or StoreJ or or these you know decentralized mm -hmm. storage coins. Um, do they have the same incentive to be as efficient and thorough and secure as Dropbox? Yes, I think so. It's an economic incentive, right? So once you take that, say, data, right, it's a $20 trillion business, right? So why does Amazon, you know, why do these big companies love that so much? Because it's great income, right? So in the future, as we have, you know, increased automation, we've got like more and more in the metaverse, we're going to need new ways to make money, right? And just like right now, I might buy a rental house and rent it out. In the world of tomorrow, I might buy a computer and rent it out. And I might take payment in Filecoin. And then that Filecoin can be exchanged for Bitcoin, right? Through a decentralized exchange. So I get a passive income stream by providing internet infrastructure. Now, if it's done with a blockchain, you have to have massive failure across thousands of nodes once you get to that kind of tipping point with a network effect, right? So like Bitcoin, right? 50% of the mining capacity was taken offline, but the network survived. Right? When China banned Bitcoin mining, um, the network lost half of its capacity and yet it continued to tick as if nothing had happened. 
And that's the same kind of redundancy that can be built into a mesh network. Okay, so this is what I think is the big difference right now in crypto between 2018 and now is that there's real use cases. So take like the big storage cryptos as an example, Mm -hmm. like Filecoin or StoreJ or Arweave. What's actually being stored in there right now? Like who is storing anything on there? That's actually a a good question. I actually don't know the, the answer to, right? So I'm... I'm familiar with the projects, but as far as like, you know, my, my journey of discovery into this industry, um, I'm doing good to, to have my head around the macro picture. Um, <laughs> that said, um, I know there are projects that are on these protocols. Um, it's just, you know, we're in that early adopter stage. Well, I know NFTs are being stored. Like Filecoin, I read, uh, has 7 million NFTs nice. uh, yeah. uh, stored sense, on right? it. Right, because you have to store them on a on a blockchain. They are, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Ethereum powered mostly. So, so I've done a podcast on what an NFT is, but maybe quickly explain it. And yeah. and I I have never I have yet to buy an NFT. Yeah, explain all this to me. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. I wonder, did he really say that? Jay, did he really say that? Can you look that up? Regardless of who said it, that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, Good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner and want the best people on your team, the same applies. And listen, I've interviewed 1,500 people now and a lot of entrepreneurs. I can safely say the one thing consistent among all entrepreneurs and CEOs, the the successful ones, is that it's all about the people you surround yourself. You, if you hire well, you're going to have a great business. And, you know, thankfully, ZipRecruiter puts the hustle in your hiring. So you find qualified candidates fast. This is so important. And I, I want you to try it. You could try it as a potential employer or employee. You could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, if you're hiring, ZipRecruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I will tell you that 
I signed up on ZipRecruiter as a potential employee. You know, I just wanted to see how it works. And right away, it started matching me with really amazing potential employers. So give it a try at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What, why is it the case that I'm reading these articles, 12-year-old girl <laughs> makes 40000 a month by creating and yeah. selling NFTs. This hedge fund buys NFTs in a drop and, and then flips them and makes money. Like what? Right. So there's some of it that I can't explain to you, right? I, I think there probably is some tulip mania going on, right? Um, but at the same time, there's that kind of economic principle of like, I have to value what I have less than what what I'm exchanging it for. So, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Why are baseball card, that little square of cardboard worth so much money? Well, it's not to me, but there are people out there who think it is, right? So there's, there's a little bit of that mindset going on in the NFT world, right? And then there are purely profiteers there who are like, oh man, I'm just going to make money off of this and I'm going to get in and get out and I'm going to sell to the greater fool, right? So there's right. definitely that going on. And like, you know, anyway, you can't, can't be mad at them. Um, maybe you can. <laughs> uh, it's not. It's not my approach to doing it. So right now, what we're seeing though are the earliest use cases. So an NFT is a non fungible token, right? Fungible meaning I can exchange something that's just like it. Like one dollar bill is fungible with another because I can buy the same Coke with it. Um, so these are uniques. They're one of ones, right? So if I've got this unique piece of digital art, I can say like nobody has this exact piece of art on the blockchain, right? And, and that is the use case that we're seeing right now. But going back to the question about mortgages, right? A mortgage is a unique document. It's a one of one. It's between you, the former property holder, you know, the lender, it's a unique document. So that is a one of one that could be turned into an NFT. And now that feeds into that ecosystem of decentralized finance. And it's one of the blocks that's needed for us to move to that paperless kind of super fast approved mortgage world. So that's one of the use cases. Let, let me let me pick that apart for a second, because I think what you just said is really super insightful. I think a lot of people think NFTs are, oh, these pictures of bored apes. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm buying an NFT, I'm buying a JPEG. That's crazy. Yeah. And that is crazy. Yeah. But I think of NFTs as a crypto that provides access to something. Mm -hmm. So if I if my mortgage becomes an NFT, whoever buys this NFT has access to a, essentially a legal agreement yeah. entitling them to a certain percentage amount of money per year and uh also access to my house if I don't pay. Yeah. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. Uh, legal so, remedies, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, right. And the legal remedies are automatic. There's no yeah. court case. It's right in the blockchain. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the other thing is if I'm the initial creator of the mortgage, like I'm borrowing the money to buy a house, right. anytime that NFT is sold, I might make right. a, a royalty. I might get more money. Exactly. So if people are very excited about my house, it might give me, I, I get a tiny percentage royalty every time someone mm -hmm. trades the tokens that represent my 
yeah. mortgage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, so you keep it up to up to like you keep increasing the market value, and then that becomes visible to people on the blockchain. And you know maybe the value perceived value goes up, the market price goes up. You get right. That's a huge <laughs> incentive for for the for the owner of the house to yeah. keep making improvements to the house is yeah. because they'll make they'll continue to make money off of their mortgage even without selling the house. Yeah. And or or they could tokenize their house. They could sell equity in their house, not even right. a mortgage. But also NFTs could be used in the like the entire ticketing industry can be replaced yes, by NFTs. Is. Yeah. It is like being. did you see that happening? Are there are there events yet that are because the, the idea is if if I buy something for a hundred dollars, if I buy a ticket for a hundred dollars and then sell it to the scalper, the, the event may, producer doesn't make money from the scalper, but now with if it if every ticket is in an NFT, the event producer loves scalpers because they would make a royalty. <laughs> exactly, like go ahead, trade it on the secondary market. You know, like uh, why not? It's a royalty, as you said. Yeah, this this I mean the blockchain. Like these are these are the the kind of fallout effects that just come as as you naturally fix things and make them more fair and kind of more in alignment with sort of what I, what I think of as natural law, just what's the right thing to do, right? Don't be, don't be a jerk. Like don't take advantage of other people. You know, if, if, if I'm supposed to get a royalty on that ticket, I get it automatically, right? You can't jip me. I don't have to trust you to do it. Um, obviously not you specifically, but, um, but yeah. is this, are these real world cases happening yeah. yet? And, so so tell me about it. Yeah, so you know, as always just like on the internet, um advertisers are some of the first people to innovate in this space. smartmediatech.io they're doing some really cool things with advertisers around events and they're not just doing it though with you know the the concert type events. They're doing it with like in-store, they're making they're making like a sale into an event. So they're gamifying using these NFTs to get a discount, but they're also kind of like making it like a Pokemon Go type thing experience. Um, and then the NFTs are interactive. So let's say I go to your concert once I get, you know, when I check in, I get a ticket for a free Coke. If I redeem that Coke, it converts into some sort of like an, uh, an event NFT that's unique and only for people who bought something from the concession stands or maybe even specifically in a co-sponsorship with Coke. But then there's like, you know, okay, what if you go to 10 of my concerts, right? Now you'll be able to smash your NFTs together and get like a mega NFT. And maybe once, you know, maybe you become like one of 10 people to ever go to 10 of my concerts on the planet. Like, so I see that you're at my show and I call you up on stage, right? So now there's an experiential benefit for being one of this group of people who not only went to the concert but collected the nfts and so it's sort of like it, it ramps up the whole rewards industry to a high degree but then there's also the economics of it right which is as the ticket seller i can get a royalty stream off the scalpers so yeah and you know you look at what adidas did probably i, th I think nike did it before them when they released their nfts i mean anything again this goes back to this principle that the metaverse is first going to be a duplication of the physical world. And then we're going to start in the, again, some crazy shit that we can't even imagine because the tech doesn't exist yet for us to have that even model of thinking. This bleeds into the, the metaverse. Mm -hmm. So I love the concept, which is that there's, and for people who don't know the metaverse, it's basically, there's not one 
metaverse, like a virtual reality where we're all gonna like suddenly lose ourselves in. It's more like, imagine there's a thousand games out there and they're all gonna be different metaverses and but they're going to start to be interoperable like if i buy things with virtual money in league of legends i might be able to convert uh, you know sell the currency and sell, sell my equipment in dota yeah. and move one avatar from you know world of warcraft to another game or whatever yeah. and uh uh but but is this right now i'm hearing about oh people are buying and selling land in the metaverse and it's going crazy and blah yeah. blah blah Again, I hate it when money is just about money. <laughs> there <laughs> yes, has to be exactly. things that people want to do. Yeah. Like, do do people like you and me want to be in the metaverse? Is this just for kids? Like, what's the story? I mean, to, there 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 is an argument to be made that we're in the metaverse right now. I mean, we're on opposite sides. I don't know exactly where you are, but we're definitely not in the same room, right? And yet, we're having this right. conversation in this virtual um, reality albeit, you know, kind of archaic to what we imagine as being a virtual reality. Um, we are kind of, you know, interacting in the metaverse right now. What's going to happen, though, is it's going to become more experiential as the hardware and the bandwidth um, enable us to have that. So I think, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, it's it's going to become the norm. Um, I think uh, Elon Musk is kind of famous for saying, like, we're already androids. It's just the interface interface is slow. We have, we have to interact with the, you know, the screen. Um, so we're already tapping into the collective intelligence of mankind through the Internet, through these screens. Right. So what's going to happen is, I mean, unless we maybe bomb ourselves back to the Stone Age, we get into some stupid war um, or, you know, whatever. Um like digital life is just going to become more and more a part of our reality. So it's just one of those things where um, like, we're going to do it. Like it, it, think about like, you know, when, when we were kids, like you either fit in at your high school or you didn't. Right. But th what we didn't know is there were millions of kids who were also the weirdos at their school. And now we can hang out in the metaverse. Right. Not, not saying that about us, although I've, Probably fit that weirdo bill. <laughs> um, but you, you, so like everybody can find their group. Everybody can find their tribe. Everybody can find a place where they're accepted and they can, they can have whatever identity they want. Right. Um, they can, but like you said though, like mm -hmm. I could connect with those people on zoom or yeah. in a, in a chat room on, or on Reddit or whatever. Yeah. I don't necessarily need to be in a, a kind of virtual place to see these people. Yeah. That's that that requires like extra effort. Yeah, right, that's funny. Well, let me ask you this, sorry. So let's try to take it like, you know, let's think about the way things get developed, right? So you've always got the military who's advancing stuff, right? Then you've got entertainment, right? You've got science, you got all these different ways that are being that are advancing this. So there's all these different sectors that are kind of I mean, if you look at the military, it's kind of frightening what can be done with the metaverse and the blending of human intelligence, artificial intelligence and augmented reality you wouldn't want to be the target of that kind of, uh, you know, attack, right? So there's, there's that world, but I don't really want to touch on that. <laughs> um, yeah. There's, then there's, um, take entertainment, right? What if, I love Braveheart, maybe you hate it, but it was a big action movie, right? Or, or like, I'm an action fan. Like, uh, so what if that was filmed in 360 video? So it was done with 360 cameras. I could watch it in, virtual reality i could watch the scene where they're you know fighting but then 
like let's say I want to rewind and I want to turn around and I want to look at what's happening over here behind me, right? That's a cool experience, right? That's a new way to interact and interface with video entertainment. Um, so there are some things that are just going to be purely adopted for the cool factor. Um, some are going to be utilitarian, right? So, but what's going to happen is instead of me going and fixing the robot that works on the server in the, you know, the, the server farm, I'm going to put on a set of AR or VR glasses and handsets and I'm going to control a maintenance robot who goes over there and fixes it. Right. So we've got these convergence of all these things, right? Technology automation, right. That's replacing traditional roles, traditional jobs. But as you can see, like when you can make money playing a game, whenever you can um, rent out your CPU, you get these new ways of making money. And that's important because you're going to have the deflationary effects of technology kick in as well. And whenever you've got deflationary effects with as much debt as we have, catastrophic uh, potential combination. So we've got all these, all these forces converging. And, and really, uh, like to me, it just it all inevitably leads to the metaverse. Like it's going, either we bomb ourselves back into the Stone Age and we get rid of technology and we're, you know, the, the latest like, ancient like, civilization. Like, <laughs> but like what will, be, what will be the first time you and I um, use the metaverse for something other than, you know, making money? Because mm -hmm. something, something like we want to use it for something. Yeah. So I would say you're seeing that now with um, NFTs associated with products that are flex products. Right, so if I buy a Gucci purse, which I love Gucci purses. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I buy a Gucci purse, I can walk around and I can flex with that to like maybe 50 people if I'm in a pop, like a populated place. But in the metaverse, I can flex that Gucci purse to everybody, right? So my avatar is gonna have a Gucci purse on it that I paid extra for, right? But why would you be in the metaverse in the first place? Why are you on, I mean, why are people on social media? Okay, I'm on social media mm -hmm. because I want to see what what my distant friend's, yeah. you know, life is like without having to talk to him or her. <laughs> that's, like when, we, that's when would you ever call your first case, grade? By the way. <laughs> like when would you ever call your first grade, your friend from first grade and yeah. say, hey, how'd your kid do in a soccer tournament last week? Like you never would. <laughs> right. But now it's pleasant for me to see, oh yeah, I remember that guy. I'm yeah, glad yeah. his son did well. So like, that's why I'm on social media. Yeah, right. Well, so, so maybe in the future, instead of you going to that post, you know, like you'll be able to like have your goggles on and go like this and it'll like, you'll pop in the first person view and you'll see a son make the winning kick and then you like it and you go um, like you turn around. Right. So, you know, I talked to Dan Mapes who um, is a 75-year-old guy who has just got so much energy. Like, he, like, vibrates when he talks to you. And he's working on something called the spatial web. Um, and so, oh, my. So let's think, let's think about this, right? So this is kind of the metaverse, kind of this, the spatial web. So one of the projects that he did was with Amazon, right? They took one of their warehouses and they duplicated it in a virtual world, right? They did a 3D duplicated 
model in the virtual world that worked exactly the same. And then they used AI to analyze the layout and they, the AI instantly figured out a way that increased productivity by 40%, right? So that is an instance of this intersection of the metaverse and the physical world being used to create efficiencies in business, right? That's interesting. What's even cooler, though, is they use the same AI to analyze the employee training program, and they took the employee training from two days down to 15 minutes. Hmm. How'd they do that? <laughs> Magic. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the AI, right? That's, that's the, the, the algorithm was able to take all the variables that are too complex, you know, the nuances, they're, they're too, um, too many of them for us to calculate and to reach a conclusion that just, you know, <clears throat> those were the results. So it, honestly, like he, he, he would be a great guy to talk to. He's fascinating. Um, but he would have the so details. Yeah. So what are the five, what would you consider are the five best ways to make money in crypto right now, other than buying and selling coins? <laughs> yeah. So there's entrepreneurship. I mean, this is, oh man, it's a gold rush. Like if you are entrepreneurial minded, um, I mean, there's so much uh, capital out there ready um, to flood into this market because the VCs and the smart money are all starting to realize this is inevitable and it's going to be way bigger than the first version of the internet. And if you think about what, you know, Amazon did for early investors, like they're, they're seeing the same potential here in crypto. Amazon's a great example. Mm -hmm. Like everyone thought in 1995, oh, this internet thing is just a fad exactly. or it's just used by academics. And Amazon came along and said, no, we, we have a real world use. We could sell books yes. and clothes. <laughs> exactly. Like I couldn't even believe it. Like you're going to, how are you going to sell clothes? But they, that was their number two category. And then food was their number three category. Yeah. And people got comfortable with putting their credit cards in there yep. and so on. What's going to be a, a catalyst that is going to really show us that crypto tips into the real world? Well, when crypto kind of tips into the real world will be like the way that the hypertext transfer protocol crept into the real world, right? So nobody really looks at their browser bar and sees HTTPS and thinks like, oh, I'm using, you know, the secure version of the hypertext transfer protocol. But they right. are using it, right? So that's when crypto has kind of gone mainstream. It's whenever you're using it and you don't even know you're using it because it's underpinning what you're doing at the user interface level. So what will be that catalyst that does that? Gaming. Gaming almost certainly, right? Gaming and NFTs. I mean, you think about how rabid gamers are. You got people that play games hours and hours a day. As, as I, I find that incredible, but there's a, a rabid market of gamers out there, right? And when they discover that they're able to, rather than just sending money to Xbox and Microsoft, but they're actually able to make maybe not a full-time living, but some money, like extract some value out of that network that they're contributing to create value in. I think you're going to see that. Plus, like, I mean, it's fun. It's not intimidating. 
right? So, and what what's mm-hmm. what's what's another thing? So that's so I think I think gaming. You're right. Gaming will will boost the metaverse, and there'll mm-hmm. be some unexpected surprise. Like yeah. there'll be work remote work stuff yep. in the metaverse. There'll be there'll be group things happening in the metaverse yep. or concerts or events. Um, so so I agree that in game money in metaverse money is gonna it'll be it's one way to make money yeah. from crypto. The entrepreneurial opportunities are going to be there. Yep. What's another way to to make money with crypto right now? Um, I mean, there's yield farming. If you have money in, you know, a CD, a certificate of deposit, or some other low yield asset, um, there's the opportunity to make much higher, you know, yields. Um, but but that that's purely financial um, motivation. But also, I mean, like it's it's a big kind of an important issue. But how do you how do you do that? Well, so you would, you know, you can either participate as an automated market maker, right? So you talked about that earlier where um, you've got the market maker in the middle of every stock transaction. They're providing liquidity because they're the, they'll buy anything and they'll sell anything, right? And so in exchange for providing that liquidity, they get a cut of every transaction, right? So you can go provide liquidity in a liquidity pool. I'm sorry. What, is, what and and again, I just want to make sure everyone understands. Can you describe what providing liquidity means? Yeah, it means that you put uh, the cryptocurrency in there and you agree to leave it in there in exchange for a yield. And so, like, I leave my Ethereum at Uniswap, for instance, mm-hmm. and and they need that because for all the people who want to buy Ethereum, now they have Ethereum to give them exactly, and they don't have to give it back to me because I've agreed for a certain amount of time, like in a CD or a treasury bill or whatever. Exactly. And uh, uh, what kind of yield can I get? Um, it varies a lot. Um, I've seen everything on the low end from you know three to five percent all the way up to twenty percent, um, depending on you know where you're looking. I know there are some that go way higher, but I don't even I don't want to get into that because um, it gets way out of my like. What are the risks in doing that? So with yield farming, right, you're, you're taking it, you're staking it, you're borrowing against it, um, or you're borrowing against it, and then you're taking that money and then you're reinvesting it into something and maybe borrowing it against it again, right? So the risk there is that you become overleveraged. But the real risk is that you could, one, lose your collateral, or really on the, on the if you're on the staking side of things, the smart contracts are set up in such a way that the worst thing that can happen is you wind up owning someone else's collateral because the loan gets that collateral gets triggered so let's say that you know i borrow a hundred thousand dollars and it's secured by a hundred thousand dollars in ethereum or or three hundred thousand dollars in ethereum and then the price of ethereum crashes far enough so that that hundred thousand dollar loan has no longer got enough collateral against it i would lose my ethereum that i pledged as collateral i see so okay, it's it's a risk, but it's not it's not like catastrophic. An ink. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So all I have to do to make like twenty percent instead of like a, a, the the equivalent on a savings account is go to a decentralized exchange and say and and there's probably big buttons that say hey stake you know some of your liquidity for yield farming and yeah. you're off to the races. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is one of those cases, just like anything new with tech, like just you know Google's your friend, YouTube's your friend, um, like whenever you have questions about these things and um as far as like you know technical things like how do i you know s- connect my wallet those kind of those kind of things um they're not that hard they're you know it's just like a new app that's sometimes confusing to you and to get a, get the hang of it but um 
I mean, if you can use Facebook, you can use these apps. So tell me about like your what what you're offering right now. You're, you did this nine part docuseries. Yeah. It's got it really looks fascinating. Um, everything from the story of Bitcoin, why Bitcoin versus gold, uh, why Bitcoin, you know, you compare Bitcoin and Ethereum, you talk about buying Bitcoin, you talk about what Web 3.0 is, you, you completely survey that whole uh, NFT world, you call it the everything revolution, you talk about DeFi, you talk about crypto versus fiat, uh, the dark side of crypto and so on. Yeah. Uh, what's what's your, are you offering a product? Like what's yeah. what's, is do people have to pay for this yeah. or what's the story? Yeah, so that anybody can watch it for free. They go to uncensoredcrypto.com forward slash altature and they can they can just register there. They give me their email address. We'll send them a link. So I, I guess there is an exchange of value there. You give up your contact info um, in exchange to, to watch the series for, for free. Why do, why do they need to go to um, slash altature? What if they just go to uncensoredcrypto.com? <laughs> well, you're the one who uh, who is uh, referring them, so it makes sense for you to get some some credit for it. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out something. Like we've got some free reports on the work, um, and some and some premium reports that we were going to sell down the line. We'll figure out something special to give your guests. Um, and, Are you sure? Yes, actually, I, I want I want I want people to benefit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I actually I, I outlined um, a three coin report this morning for uh, the editorial team. So we'll we'll throw that in um, to anybody who goes there. What, what does that mean? What do they What do they get in that report? Let me let me remember the details. Oh boy, I've done fifty things since then. Um, <laughs> it was actually it was around DeFi, right? Um, it was because we've got this concept about DeFi is going to Uber big banks because it's, it's kind of inevitable. Like when you have a superior product that benefits everyone economically in the value chain, like it's, it's going to win, right? The superior technology wins. People are going to flock to things that are more valuable. It's just, it's just economics. Um, so we talked about DeFi. Um, and so what will be in there is there's going to be something in there on yield farming, um, on, on, on borrowing and lending, on remittances as well as um, on automated market makers. So taking taking that uh, AMM AMM role and providing liquidity. So we'll we'll okay. give our top uh, recommendations in those. And when can people start seeing your docu series? Yeah, so they they can sign up at any time between now and the 18th. Um, the 18th, the first episode drops. Uh, so. Each episode, I'll leave it up for free for 24 hours, just like, you know, old TV, except you got a full 24 hours to, to watch. Um, and then, so put up episode one, two, three, four, five, all the way through episode nine. Um, and, and people can just watch it for free. There's, there's a link. Um, if you got a smartphone or a web browser, you, you know, you just, just tune in. And then there is the opportunity to, to own the series. Um, but really, you know, my goal right now, and the whole reason I started this project, is because I saw the impact this could have on on going back to something you touched on, right? There's there's the financial economy where people are engineering things and making money, just about making money, and then there's the real economy where I provide value to you and you provide value in a reciprocal kind of sacred like thing that we do as as a species. And well, mm -hmm. I'm very I'm very excited, and I really do think there's huge entrepreneurial opportunities. Yes. Like I, I, I wish I was 25 right. and like neck deep in this. And, and I think there's everything from, I, I don't know, from metaverse opportunities to, 
securitizing yeah. like income flows to uh, creating a, a ticket mass, an NFT ticket master. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, is there any company that makes private label metaverses? Like, mm. I'd like to have my own metaverse. I don't want to use the sandbox. I want to make my own metaverse. Well, um, I don't know if there there are any, but there will be, I'm sure. And then that's the kind of the cool thing. Like, this metaverse thing can get really far down the rabbit hole because I can create a game inside of an, a metaverse that people pay me to play, right? And then maybe now I have 10 of these games that I've built inside the metaverse, and I, everybody that comes in pays me, you know, five bucks to play the game. And now I've right, got because a, you don't have to play, mm-hmm. you can afford it because you don't have to pay huge fees to like Xbox, for instance, to get distribution. Yeah. You can just, uh, and you can re- return those costs to the customer. Right. And now, uh, which, uh, absolutely. Well, and then think about this, right? So now that I've got 10 of these games, I've got an income stream inside of this metaverse. Maybe I list it on a stock market that only exists inside the metaverse. And now I've got an economy, an economic model that's operating inside of this world where I've got businesses and now we're trading assets, paper assets on businesses inside of a metaverse. So I think we're going to see this go really deep down the rabbit hole. And to be honest, the reason I think this is I was, I was actually at my son's basketball practice and, uh, uh, my middle son and my youngest son, who's nine, looks up at me. He's talking to me about his game. I want to be engaged and interested in what he's interested in. He's telling me how he's got this business inside of a game and he's making all this money. But the uh, but it's a very inflationary economy, is what he said to me. And I was like, "What did you just say?" And I'm like, "What do you? Why is my nine year old talking to me about inflation?" And then he explained to me how you could inflate the money supply. So he was talking about the classical Austrian sense of inflation. This is the generation of kids that are coming up. Right. That's fascinating. So like they're aware of what's going on. They want, they're in the metaverse already. They're playing the games. Yes. They're, they're trading the NFTs already. They're, they're, every kid that I know of is asking for a Coinbase account so they could trade. Yes crypto. Yes. And and by the way, they also know sushi swap, swap, simple swap, pancake and all these other decentralized exchanges. Yes. Like DYDX has has more transactions than Coinbase, but nobody is even aware of it. Like uh-huh. the average person. So we're we're just at the we're like an inning zero. We it's are. The, I always thought 2018 was inning zero, but I feel now is inning zero because mm-hmm. we're sort of over the hump of whether or not this is a fad. Yeah, exactly. And final thing, what do you like better, Bitcoin or Ethereum? Oh man, you had to ask me that. Um, I like. I did have to ask I, that. I like them both for different reasons. Um, if I had, oh man, if I had to pick, I'd probably have to go with Bitcoin right now. Um, because it's the leader. It's the leader. More. What's most important to me about all this stuff is decentralization, right? I hate the abuse of power. I hate like you know, these hidden taxes like inflation and, and you know, the intentional dumbing down of, of people. Um, it, it just it irks me, right? So the fact that Satoshi Nakamoto is an unknown entity is really important to me. And as a result of that not being a physical person, it gives a level of trust that can't be provided whenever you've got an organization who's in charge of the network, right? Because the world is not a... It's not all sunshine and roses. There are bad people who will do very bad things to coerce other people to do what they want. And whenever you have a founder or a CEO, that person is always an attack vector 
the government can send men with guns or somebody can blackmail that individual. And so that's always a weakness. So the more decentralized something is, the more I'm in, right? So that's why I go for Bitcoin, honestly. Uh, and, and the network effect is there. It is the biggest of them all. I like Ethereum because of the functionality. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, like let me play devil's advocate a little bit. Like Bitcoin, the use case was originally mm -hmm. that it would be not only a currency, but highly functional with smart contracts yeah. and all that. But Ethereum kind of replaced that vision of Bitcoin. Yeah. And most of the DeFi projects, which are actually being, again, used by millions of people yeah. now, are Ethereum powered. So the Absolutely. use case is, is real in Ethereum's case. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I'm so, I'm so torn um, because the, by the same token, like what can happen over time as Ethereum can become more decentralized. Right. So I'm watching them both. I think they're both critically important. You know, Bitcoin's got the layer two solutions that are being built on top of it that provide the same functionality as Ethereum. So that's an interesting race. Um, I mean, we're in the early 90s uh, with tech yeah. stocks. So my take is honestly, we're going to have some, we're going to have fangs emerge. We're going to have the Facebook, Amazons, Apples. Those are going to emerge. Um, but it's, Man, it's a really great time, I think, not to be, like a lot of people are raising money as like a crypto hedge fund, yeah. but it's a real great time to be a VC in the space, I absolutely. think. Absolutely, absolutely, man, absolutely. One of the things I want to do for people who, you know, who sign up through the, for the docuseries is on the back end, I mean, like we will get access to that kind of deal flow because I'll be high profile, right? Higher profile than I am. <laughs> And then, you know, for, for the, with regulatory environment being what it is, right, it's now accessible for non-accredited investors to get in on the action. So this, like, to me, this is, this is just such a good movement. It's such a good time to be alive because opportunities are just opening up like so quickly right now. Um, and that's why I did, that's why I wanted to share the story because you look at the news and you would think like the world's falling apart. Um, and, I, and I guess to, in some respects it is, but there's also a whole lot of things to be hopeful about. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Well, Michael Hearn, so how do people find out about this? Yeah. And I, and in a way that I want my listeners to, to benefit, you're doing a lot of work in the space. I want, I want everybody to benefit. Absolutely. Well, uncensoredcrypto.com forward slash Altature is going to be the, the best way for people to come. They can sign up. They can watch the series for free. I mean, if all you do is watch the series for free, your eyes are going to be open. Hopefully, you'll be inspired to get in on the action because we can make a better world with this stuff. And then we'll throw in that, that free report on the top three cryptos in DeFi right now. All right, excellent. Well, thanks once again, Michael, for coming on yeah, the show. You. And you're welcome anytime. And <laughs> uh, uh, I love learning more about crypto. It's my, my favorite topic in finance right now. So awesome. thanks once again. And yeah. uh, everybody check out at uncensoredcrypto.com slash Altature. When's it coming out with a docuseries? January 18th, but they should head over there right now because we're going to give away some Bitcoin and prizes. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Just just go over there now, but definitely by January 18th. Okay. So uncensored.com slash Altature. Use the slash Altature. I don't know what Michael's planning, but I'll make sure he plans something to, to well, listeners good. to benefit. Thanks very much, Michael. Yeah, thank you, James. Appreciate it. Thank you.